Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Indie Talk Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Paul Martinez, and uh, welcome back to the show. I told you I'd try to get on as soon as I can, so we could try to catch up on Ring of Honor and Lucha Underground, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get right into it. Uh, we're going to start with Ring of Honor TV from April 25th, 2015. And the show opens with a promo from The Addiction. They talk about how they have twice failed to defeat Red Dragon for the belts. But tonight, it must change. Then Kaz makes a comment about putting on their armor like the knights that they are. And you know, when I heard that, I thought to myself immediately, knights, as in maybe knights of the Red Dawn? Hmm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Again, going into the show, not knowing any spoilers at all, just the knights' comment stuck out. The opening match, BJ Whitmer versus Will Ferrara versus Caprice Coleman versus Moose. In a uh, four-way match. The story of this match is Moose. uh, As is most of the matches that he's in. Coleman has some nice moments though. I wonder why he's not featured more. Um, I tend to really enjoy his work. The little that I get to see of it. I mean, you know, I I see Coleman in a match. Maybe once a month it seems. But he always seems to really bring, bring, bring out the best. That he has, uh, and I'm surprised he's not shown more on the Ring of Honor TV. Or why he's not doing other indies, you know, as, uh, I, as you know, if you follow this show, we cover many independent promotions, and I haven't seen Caprice Coleman in any of them. So, uh, this strange, something I thought about when I was watching this match. There's a somersault plancha by Moose, which has the crowd going crazy. You gotta wonder what the plan is for Moose. I mean, are they gonna turn him babyface, which is the obvious choice, or are you gonna make him evil like Vita Scott wants him to be? I'm not sure where they're gonna go with this. He is really, really over with the crowd, yet you have him with Vita, so something has to be done here. You either gotta turn him against Vita, or you gotta turn him evil. Uh, but it makes no sense for him to be with the hill manager and be this over. Caprice later on hits a sky splitter on Ferrara. That was a nice freaking move. I never saw that move before this match, but uh, that was nice. And right after that, Moose decapitates Coleman with a clothesline. Somehow, Cece kicks out. Then later, Moose hits a spear on Caprice. But Whitmer had hit a... Who, the whole match was basically running from Moose, not wanting to get in the ring with him. Hits a blind tag on Moose and uh, gets the victory. Two and a half stars. I've said it before. Moose is going to be a huge star in this business one day. He's not a great worker right now. He's not. But you have to understand, this guy just started training, not wrestling. He just started training in, I think, it's less than a year. Since he just decided to try to become a professional wrestler. And when you look at it that way, he's pretty damn good for somebody with absolutely no experience. Yeah, he's got a lot to learn. He doesn't sell well. Always the last thing I feel is selling in psychology. 
which I guess go hand in hand, but always the last things a professional wrestler learns, and those are obviously the two things he's weakest in, but his offense is devastating, and from what I can see, as ridiculous as the offense looks, he doesn't look like he hurts anybody, uh, which is puts him ahead of a lot of guys in this business. But as I keep saying, keep your eyes on Moose. After the match, Adam Cage is in, uh, Adam Page. I'm sorry, is in the ring with BJ. He's cutting a promo on ACH. Then he starts to threaten to burn an ACH T-shirt, which brings ACH out to the ring. But it's two on one. Uh, he's able to rid the ring of them though. And then ACH cuts a passionate promo on Page, and really everyone who has knocked him. Page then enters the ring, and we have an impromptu match. Uh, ACX pretty much owning Page, but Whitner continues to distract him throughout the match. Adams winds up hitting him with a belly-to-back pile driver for the win. The fans are not happy at all. Then the decade starts to stomp away, but Matt Sidow, who is the uh, tag partner of ACX, he runs out to make the save. I really like ACX. I thought the promo he cut here before the impromptu match was stellar. Showed a lot of fire. Um, I am definitely in camp ACX right now. There is a fantastic hype video promoting the big four nights of ROH and New Japan joint shows that are coming up. I am so psyched for these, and uh, I'm going to comment about them at the end of this podcast. Then we uh, go right to our main event. It's only, it's only two matches on the show. This is The Addiction versus Red Dragon for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. It's very obvious as the match starts that Bobby is sporting a knee injury. He's limping. He's got a pretty big brace. Don't know if that's, uh, a, you know, that a sign that they're dropping the titles here because he's hurt. I don't know. As I said, I don't keep up with spoilers, so I don't know going in what was happening here. But it was very obvious Fist was not 100%. Kazarian is catching a drubbing from the champs for a while. Uh, he finally does get the tag into Daniels. Daniels takes the fight to Red Dragon. Winds up hitting a blue thunder bomb for a near fall. And uh, now it's Bobby Fish who's playing the role of Babyface in peril for a bit. He comes back and hits a Samoan drop on uh, Frankie Kazarian. Both men crawl to their corners, make tags. Kyle is a house of fire, hitting a fantastic striking combo on uh, Daniels. Red Dragon uh, start the double team. They hit really what looked like a really clunky-looking two-man smash machine in Kazarian. Both teams hit a series of double-team maneuvers. The, the addiction wound up hitting a slingshot stunner on O'Reilly for two and seven-eighths. This, at this point, this was really a great match so far, and we have a lot more to go. After a double clothesline by Kyle O'Reilly and uh, Daniels, you know, as they catch each other with clotheslines, all four men are down in the ring. ROH faithful are absolutely loving this match, as they should. I mean, this is really a fantastic match. These are maybe the best two tag teams in the world today, outside of possibly the Young Bucks. 
fish winds up doing a somersault plancha on a Kazarian. Um, it looks like he re-injures his knee on that. We see a member of KRD now is in the crowd. Referee Todd Sinclair is out checking on fish. And to interject for a second, I really hate that spot. I, the ref is there to referee the match, not to play doctor. I always hate when someone gets hurt outside the ring and all of a sudden the referee runs out to check to see if they're okay. That it's, it's stupid. It's not supposed to happen. I mean, yes, we have to have some disbelief when you watch professional wrestling. But, and I'm fine with that if it's logical. I never understood referees going out to check to see if a guy is injured to be logical uh, during the middle of a match. So, this is one of my pet peeves. And back in the ring, Daniels hits a Uranagi on O'Reilly. He looks for the BME, but O'Reilly uh, gets out the way of it. Then the KRD member comes in. He tries to hit Daniels with a super kick, but he ducks and hits O'Reilly. Kazarian tosses the masked man from the ring. The addiction hit Celebrity Rehab. And of course, now Todd comes back in the ring. He counts the pin. And we have new Wing of Honor Tag Team Champions. Four stars. It's incredible match despite the interference. Really an incredible match. It was these guys really went all out, including Fish, who was definitely hobbled. But uh, as hobbled as he was, he put his all. He worked really hard. Uh, after the match, Fish grabs the KRD guy who's still outside the ring and tosses him in the ring. And uh, they all surround him. They unmask him, and it's Chris Sabin. Chris Sabin, formerly the tag partner of Alex Selly in the Motor City Machine Guns from uh, TNA Impact. And they are about to beat him senseless when the addiction crack Red Dragon in the heads with the title belts, busting Kyle O'Reilly open. Then they always hands together with belts and KRD masks. So, as I said, I caught that comment in the promo. The Addiction, along with Chris Saban, are the KRD. I told you, that, that Knight's comment was just so out of nowhere. It, it just stuck out like a sore thumb. And I really did not know at the time that it was dumb at all. I had no clue who the KRD was. But when I heard that comment, I was like, ah, <laughs> I think I got it. Still, Saban was a surprise. I thought he was still in TNA last I uh, heard. So this was a great show. Uh, and I guess I'm satisfied with the reveal KRD. As long as it wasn't the kingdom, I'm happy with who it was. And it gives the addiction some new life as heels and a tag team title run. And I'm all for that. In wrestling news this week, we're going to start with, and I'm very sorry to report that AWA founder and promoter, as well as one of the most legendary wrestlers ever, Vern Gagne, passed away at the age of 89 this past week. Wrestling lost a true legend. There'll never be another like him, and we are all lesser for his passing. I condolences this to his family and friends, and while I never was able to watch the man in his prime, I do know of his legacy, and 
the shadow he cast upon the sport is a large one. Moving on, Smashing Pumpkins lead singer Billy Corgan has apparently signed the TNA for an executive TV position. At first they were saying it was part of creative, but I think that was not the case. Because what would Billy Corgan know about creative? I mean, oh, that did not come out right. He's very creative as a singer. I am a Smashing Pumpkins fan. But as far as a wrestling booker, I don't know of any reason why he would be good at that. But uh, apparently he does have a job somewhere as a TV executive for the company. Um, and that probably just goes to his experience in doing stuff like uh, producing his rock band, doing publicist work and stuff like that. You know, he, he worked in the entertainment industry and he probably has some ideas about how to spread the word of TNA. I think that's more along the lines of what he would be doing. Um, as I reported last show, Daniel Bryan is indeed injured. He did miss the Extreme Rules pay-per-view last Sunday, which, from what I heard, was not a good show. No word on how long Daniel's going to be out. Um, there are varying rumors. Some say it's only maybe a week or two. I'm um, hearing other places it could be a lot longer. As I said, I'm starting to worry about Daniel's overall health in this business. But as I am a huge fan of his, I hope that uh, this is not anything serious and we will see him uh, entertaining us in the ring again soon. Speaking of injuries, TNA Tag Champion Jeff Hardy suffered a broken leg in a recent dirt bike accident. He apparently was going under surgery today as I'm recording this. I did not hear anything as far as results of the surgery, but I will assume that all will go well. Not sure how long he'll be out. A broken leg. You got to figure that's going to be some months. We'll see what... Uh, I guess they'll probably do some sort of tournament for the tag championship at TNA. Um, I don't follow it that closely, so I'm not really sure what they're doing there. But uh, still, this is a, pardon the pun, uh, this is a tough break for Jeff, who uh, really seemed to uh, find a home at TNA and really seemed to get his act together over the last year. And it's a shame to see uh, him get injured this way. Uh, you know, this is the way uh, he's, uh, Jeff has always lived. He likes doing a lot of extreme sport type of things. Not that I would think that dirt bike riding is extreme. But, you know, still he's a very active guy. He's not, He does more than just wrestle. And, you know, these things happen. And let's just hope he gets healthy soon and back in the ring soon for all his fans. Uh, that's pretty much all the wrestling news we have. It's only been a few days, so actually it's been quite a lot that's happened in the last couple of days. Now let's move on to the highlight of maybe my year. Lucha Underground, episode 24. Show opens with a video of Black Lotus training. She beats six attackers on her own, then faces the man in the green mask who's been training her. He defeats her and says she is not ready. I'm wondering who this guy is. He looks slightly familiar. I mean, even though he had a mask on. My girl Melissa is in the ring with a bandages up ankle. 
as he introduces the next match. Sexy Star versus Pentagon Jr. Of course, this has all been stemming for a while with Sexy Star Pentagon kind of had this rivalry going and last week she saved Melissa, uh, which is when she injured that ankle when Pentagon Jr. attacked her. Uh, Sexy opens up pretty well, but uh, soon Pentagon starts hitting some stiff kicks that made me wince. But the star takes it and comes back. She hits a tornado DDT for a two count. Catches Pentagon with a cannibal plancha out on the floor. Pentagon turns a power bomb into a lung blower of Pentagon. Um, he does it again for a second time. Doesn't get the pin though, but he looks like he's more interested in this, uh, hurting her and maybe, uh, looking to use that three up, three down and break the arm. Uh, we see, by the way, that Davari is back at ringside again, uh, enjoying the action. Sexy winds up doing around the world into a lung blower and gets the win. That came out of nowhere. Definitely anticlimactic, in my opinion, although I thought, as again, you guys know, I'm not a big fan of the male versus women matches, but this was a good one. This was... A good match. Um, Sexy Star did take uh, some hard blows in it. But she got as good as she gave. And I, I gave the match two and a half stars. We uh, are back in the catacombs where we see Johnny Mundo in a workout room. Doing some pretty cool exercises. I've never seen them before. They looked uh, pretty impressive. In walks Alberto de Patron. Alberto comes in, he's screwing with Mundo again, talking about how he never grabs the brass ring, etc. Mundo tells him to be careful. He's not just some guy that he can smack around. <laughs> Alberto didn't seem to like that dig. And if you didn't catch that, that's a reference to uh, why Alberto got fired from WWE as he smacked around one of the, uh, the workers that are disrespectful. I'm not really sure why Alberto continues to screw with Mundo. I, I I heard Meltzer say something about how this, you know, is Mundo uh, acting heelish. I don't know. He's in a, a weight room by himself working out. Another guy walks in and starts criticizing his career. And Mundo's the heel? I'm sorry, Dave. I don't see that. Uh, not the first time I disagreed with you or the last, I'm sure. But uh, anybody who watches this, I don't know how you could tell me that Mundo was the bad guy here. Definitely looked like Alberto was being an ass. Then we get to our main event already. It's the trio's title a championship match. It's a three-way elimination six-man match. <laughs> get all that in to a sentence. And the teams are Tejano. Cage and King Cuerno versus Angelico, Ivelisse, and Son of Havoc versus Big Rick, the Mac, who is Willie Mac, as the fans constantly chanted to watch this match, and Killshot. Early on, the team led by Cuerno looks really good. And, you know, I thought I saw this when she entered the ring. And I see it again here. It seems Ivelisse is limping pretty badly. Um, it looks like there's something wrong with her ankle. We get a stare down in the ring with Cage and Rick. 
And uh, they start going at it and, and trading big blows. I'm going to have you. Cage gets the better of Rick. Angelico winds up diving on Tejano on the outside, which makes him crash into Davari, who spills his drink all over himself. Davari flips out, attacks Tejano from behind, posts him, uh, winds up taking him and throwing him into the chairs of the crowd. It basically, just flips out, rips off his shirt, Storms out the arena. Dahano rolls back into the ring, but he's practically out from the attack. Killshot pounces on this by hitting a flying double stomp and pins him, eliminating that team. And uh, you had to figure, even the announcers were saying going into this, that Cuerno's team had to be the favorites, and uh, they're the first team out. So we move on from there. Ivalice is obviously injured. He hasn't really been in the ring at all. And Sudden Havoc has been laid out on the floor for a while. So Angelico is basically just taking a three-on-one beating of a lifetime in this match. Finally, Son of Havoc gets to the apron. He gets to the match. He actually hits a reverse top rope Frankensteiner on kill shot. Ivelisse, you know, on one leg. Tries to go up the ropes and dive at Mac and Rick, but they catch her. But before they could do any harm, Havoc drives through the ropes, taking them all out and basically saving Ivelisse. Angelico then winds up hitting the Fall of Angels on Killshot and gets the victory. Son of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico are the trio's champions. And a really, really good match. Dario... Steps out of his office with a confused look. He says he's surprised to see the most dysfunctional six-man team ever win the trio's title. But they haven't won it yet. Dario has another team in the tournament. That match is now, and it's no disqualification. Of course, that could only mean his boys, the crew, who I kind of wondered why they weren't in the tournament. And uh, this is why, because he was holding him out, uh, basically giving him a bye to the finals. So it's Ivelisse, Angelico, Son of Havoc. Angelico was taking a complete beating in the other match. Ivelisse who's on one leg instead of Havoc versus a fresh crew. So as to be expected, the crew just decimates them. Uh, Ivelisse is thrown in the ring, injured and alone. Cortez Castro has the kendo stick. Havoc saves her momentarily, but he gets taken out. Castro is beating on Ivelisse, choking her with the stick, uh, really just stomping her. You guys know I really don't like this. It feels dirty and wrong to, to beat on a woman like that. Son of Havoc, though, uh, winds up doing a moonsault from the lower level onto Cisco, and the crowd erupts. Angelico is laid out on top of Dario's office roof where Cisco dropped him out there. So, I mean, this is all crew. Ivelisse is being basically mauled in the ring. Then, finally, with everybody, you know, they look like they got everybody done for. Bale and Cortez going for the kill on Ivelisse. And then Angelico does a running dive from the roof. Taking out both men with a cross body. This is the most incredible dive I have ever seen. 
I must have rewinded it five times. I've watched this match three times. It's the most... There's no doubt about it. They've never seen... Yes, Johnny Mundo, um, very early on, jumped from the roof into the ring. And he did, and did kind of like this forward roll. This was different. And Jericho went flying, and in the air, hit a cross-body block on two men. Just amazing. I cannot even tell you how amazing a spot this was. One of the most amazing spots I've ever seen in my life of watching wrestling. The crowd's completely lost it. Standing ovation. They're going nuts. Ivelisse winds up crawling to the kendo stick. And she gives receipts to all three members of the crew with it. Son of Havoc and Angelico go up opposite corners. Suiting Star pressed by Havoc. Flying double stomp by Angelico. Double pin. One, two, three. Absolute jubilation. I have not seen a crowd react like this in years. Incredible is not enough to say. I actually almost teared up from joy myself. This match right here is what professional wrestling is about. If you don't get it, you never will, and that's fine. But I got to tell you, I'm putting this in my top five favorite matches ever. Not because it was so technically perfect, but because the story that was told. People who understand what this business is will get it. WWE doesn't get it. This is how you book. It's not about how you look. It's about the story being told. It's about the passion of your audience. This team wasn't shoved down our throats. At all. They were undercarters, jobbers. I've listened to the old podcast. I talked about how Son of Havoc became almost the joke of the show in early in early episodes. But the fans made this happen. And what happens is the people responsible for the show, like Robert Rodriguez and others, uh, Vampiro, I know, has a lot, and Conan has a lot to say on what goes on here as well. And they understood we got something here. And we're not going to sit here and go, oh, well, Son of Havoc doesn't look like a champion. Eva Lee's is a girl. Um, Angelico is, you know, some, you know, skinny Australian, uh, South African. We can't put them, uh, on a pedestal and lucha on the ground. No. They looked into their crowd and know how to book. This is how you book professional wrestling, where you make an incredible story. And in the end, Yes, sometimes evil will win. But you know how it's supposed to be in stories. Evil wins, but their wins are always fleeting. They get victories, but in the end, good triumphs over evil. The great Cinderella stories are told. They work out. That's what happened here. If you can hear my voice right now, seek out this match. Seek it out now. Lucha Underground is the best American promotion today, period, end of story. As far as the ranking of this match, I'm, I'm going to rank the whole thing as far as the original three-way and then the match with the crew or as one. I'm giving it 4.5 stars. Outstanding. I cannot tell you enough uh, how much I loved 
this episode of Lucha Underground, how much I loved the way this story was booked. I don't know if these guys are going to keep the belts long. That's not the point. The point was the journey, the way the story was told in the ring. The story was told in the ring. Even this was of a broken ankle, I found out after this. Her ankle was broken. But the way they told the story, you felt for this team. You pulled for this team. And that's the way wrestling is supposed to be. You're supposed to care. That's like a great TV show, like Homeland. You care for the characters. And when you care for the characters, you have an emotional investment in the show. And you get paid off when they're victorious. Again, you know, if I, I doubt anybody that works for WWE or knows anybody who works for WWE is listening to this podcast. But if by chance you are, watch this. Look at it. Study it. Understand it. This is how you do wrestling. Wake up. As I said earlier, I was going to tell you about the Ring of Honor New Japan um, shows that are coming up. And I am so excited for these four shows. You have no idea. If you don't know, I think I've mentioned before here, I do a podcast about New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is my favorite promotion in the world. It's called Strong Style Podcast. And it will be on that podcast that I review these four shows it will not be reviewed on uh indie talk so if you do want to hear about these great ring of honor shows that are coming up with some literally dream matchups i i believe the briscoes are going to face nakamura and okada are you kidding me uh roderick strong versus tanahashi that's the name uh two of the great matches that are going to come out of these four nights um, the Kingdom of Adam Cole are going to be involved on this. So, uh, yeah, if you really, if you love Ring of Honor, you really need to watch these shows. If you love New Japan, you really need to watch these shows. If you love wrestling, you need to watch these shows. I guarantee not one of them of the four will fail to deliver. If you want to hear my reviews on those shows, as I said, look for my other podcast. It's called Strong style podcast you can find that on itunes uh you can find it on blogger again that's the name of it strong style strong style podcast you should be able to find it uh quite easily so that's uh where you'll hear that story but as for this show that's it for today thank you for listening until next time bye bye